You're listening to DMT. Dimitri Mujanis talks. Welcome to DMT. I'm Dimitri Mujanis, your host. Today's guest is Britta Love. Britta is a writer, somatic sex educator, and multi-dimensional healer based in Brooklyn. She's a graduate of the London School of Economics and Garvey College, where she wrote her thesis in Conscious Studies on the Healing and Spiritual Potential of Altered State. We call this episode, Free Your Ass and Your Mind Will Follow. You know, my first question I got written here, B's path to sex drugs and why sex drugs. Mm. So, Yeah. Good question. So you're from you're from Queens. Yeah, I grew up in Queens, um, and I ran away during the Bush years because I wanted to like go change the world through politics at that age. And I thought, well, I'm going to go to London and study abroad. Um, and uh, my life took a very different track than I thought. I was kind of like an overachiever going to the London School of Economics over there, and I. Um, got bored as hell and wasn't allowed to drop out by my parents and kind of became a sex worker um, as a sort of like second outlet for my life. I like the word kind of and sort of in that. (laughs) (laughs) How did you kind of sort of become a sex worker? No, I mean, I I guess I meant there were several reasons all kind of that came together, I think, to like push me in that path. Like one is like as a response, I guess like an unconscious response to patriarchy, to feeling like I was already being... Um, I felt like I was already providing sexual services for free since I was a teenager, whether on the subways or to boyfriends. So I kind of, I think it was just like a moment of realizing I could charge for that. Um, it was really empowering. And um, also it was the place for me to have this alter ego and this character and, and um, live out something outside of um, London School of Economics. And what I kind of, and at the same time, I got introduced to drugs kind of separately, but got addicted to cocaine and speed and... Um, was yeah sort of going so kind of sex and drugs opened up at the same time for me in my life I was like a real good girl like in my teenage years I was a virgin till I was 18 you know that kind of whole thing mm-hmm. so it kind of all happened at once and was kind of the like shadow of sex and drugs you know so it was kind of like leaving the hotel with my cash and meeting my dealer outside and like you know picking up some coke and that was like my life at I guess 19 so from 19 mm-hmm to from 18 to 19 you went from virgin yeah to hooker to hooker <laughs> yeah. i was gonna say whore but like, I like whore go yeah, for it yeah. i love whore me too i love whore. <laughs> I love everything about whore mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so you talk about it in a it's you know in a real empowering way for sure <laughs> so, yeah yeah and like sex workers uh, especially those of us who are working independently are like the ultimate entrepreneurs a lot of us are doing our own like you know our own marketing our whole like people are doing their social media it's kind of crazy nowadays what sex workers are doing um, to run their own businesses and get their photography refreshed all the time and like filing their taxes it's it's, it's, a, it's a real thing but you know everything but the last part I'm done with <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, not everyone does that, but um, cash economy. But I mean, obviously, I'm speaking from a place of privilege. Like, I, I did make a like a decision to become a sex worker that wasn't like my only choice. And actually, it was kind of a weird thing because six months after I became a sex worker, not out of financial need, I have no idea what I would have done if I hadn't already become a sex worker because my parents went bankrupt and couldn't support wow. me anymore. So it was kind of like. I have experienced that like very like financially driven like need based sex work, but it wasn't the reason I'd gotten into it. Um, so, so I've seen both sides of that. Yeah. So like yeah, you're you're a freshman I guess at London School of Economics, mm-hmm. nineteen years old in London, mm-hmm. 
another half Jewish American girl who went to school in London. She was doing a PhD program. She actually turned into like a cancer research scientist. This woman, but and then got so outed another kind later. of whore. But yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and later got outed, but she, like she kind of has actually made like a dent in sex work politics in the UK through the way she's talked about it. But anyway, it was kind of like a moment of, of realizing like this does not sound different from what I've been doing while I've been dating. It sounds like she's compensating for male egos. Um, performing sexuality to the expectations of porn culture, except instead of like me coming home and being like, that wasn't a really great date, she's coming home with hundreds of pounds or dollars, right? <laughs> so I just thought, well, wait a minute. Um, and that's that was really, I think, the driving force. That and the kind of repressed creative side that I didn't really have access to at that age. So um, I created this character, Juliet of New York, and, um, you know, and she had like a whole like persona that went with that, you know. Um, so that was kind of a place to play as well. Um, but I kind of started it with this kind of, um, I wouldn't say hatred of men, but something verging on that. Like I really felt this like deep seated, like loathing of, um, like, I just felt like, well, fuck it. If you're going to like use me for my tits and use me for like, you know, for sex, then I'm going to fucking use your wallet. You know, it was like a very straightforward feeling. And then like within about three dates, I kind of had to like renege on that because I started seeing the humanity of men and sex and the like deep loneliness and the deep need for intimacy and the fact that this was actually like a listening profession that was like people really needed space held for them. And I started feeling really guilty if I didn't feel like I'd given them something real in return. Mm -hmm. Like if I wasn't able to offer them something genuine that was actually going to be fulfilling beyond an orgasm, I felt like shitty taking their money. Mm. So that like kind of turned around really quickly and it really helped me heal my relationship to men. And I know that's not necessarily a common uh, experience of the sex industry, but that that's my truth anyway. And um, I and then it didn't take much longer. I think in the first year I kind of was like astride a client one day and was like, this is some there's something really ancient about this. Like there's a lineage that I'm connected to that I am not the first woman who's experienced this is this like really like healing and spiritual role um and that's when i started researching the sacred prostitute and looking into like different um the different ways that the role of whore has been constructed over time and the way that the way how the profane construction that we have now really reflects the profane construction of sex in our society and nothing more it's, it's and maybe in that you know sex and capitalism and the intersection of that in our culture but that's not the only way that you can have an exchange of material things for sex and um, there are many healthy and beautiful ways that can happen and I kind of made it a really conscious effort from that point on to construct my role as Juliet into something that was gonna reflect more of that kind of temple prostitution idea of, you know, worshippers coming to a temple to connect to the goddess or all that is or whatever you want to say, connect a spirit through a physical vessel that represented her or it, all that is, you know, and that was through sex and that was like the um, ritual. Um, and um, I've made, I made so many deep connections with people. I felt, I have letters from people who felt that I made a profound impact on their life and those some of those people made really profound impacts on my life as well and so I had a, I had a very um, 
Yeah, I I have a really special place in my heart for the sacred horror. I think, and I and also I don't. I think that all horrors are sacred anyway. I see. I, <laughs> I think all yes. horrors are doing healing work, whether or not they even know it. I think just being with people, without um, like kind of, we're shame exorcists. We hold people in their like fullness of their being and their nudity and their um, with complete acceptance and presence, and that is just a healing thing in a fucked up world around sex that we have. So. You know, thinking about hearing you talk about it, I guess so. All this you talk about what was given to you, and what 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 was anything lost? Hmm. In, in That's a good question. I feel like what was lost was lost before I became a whore. Like officially, I feel like there there was definitely. I feel like I was already performing my sexuality before I became a sex worker. And that I feel a great loss around. I really wish that I'd grown up and discovered fumbling around with another body my genuine expression of sex and sexuality and that that was like an organic thing that just happened with chemistry and, and, and bodies knowing bodies and not like, this is how to sound and look and be during sex. This is what's expected of you. These are the acts that are, you know, that you should be performing, you know, in order to keep a guy around, like all of that bullshit. Like to me, that that feels like the loss. And that is maybe, you could, like I think a lot of maybe more like second wave feminists, you know, say that, oh, the sex industry represents that and is as if it's a top down thing and the sex industry is like permeating that throughout the culture. But actually the sex industry is just reflecting that that is the model of, sex in our culture and it could look completely different if sex was constructed differently and you mentioned porn culture mm -hmm. and uh, last time we got together when we were having dinner we were talking about you know what I've noticed you know having you know having the end of my addiction where I was with one woman and then mm -hmm. <laughs> I was just with some heroin <laughs> so, so I, I didn't have a lot of sex in the last maybe four or five years and then I sort of came out of it in the early 2000s and noticed that sex was different mm -hmm. that the women the young women in particular the younger women were behaving as if there was a third person or a camera um, mm -hmm. so how if that performative porn culture sex was you know prevalent in, in you growing up as a, a young girl and a woman like and it was sort of expected mm -hmm. aren't those very same things even more expected if someone's laying down the cash <laughs> well I and mean, how do you take it out of that if it is i think that um well there's two very specific strands in the escorting world of, of sex work there's the pse which is the porn star experience mm -hmm. and there's the gfe which is the girlfriend experience is that where they just like complain about shit and ask you to do things <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna wear that no <laughs> You know, and people will tell you different things. Like some people say a girlfriend experience just means that you're open to kissing and open to them going down on you. And that, that gets another level of intimacy that some sex workers don't. They hold boundaries right. around that. Um, I always, in or at least working in London, I, I felt that um, it was really a whole thing. I mean, I was going out to dinners. You know, it was like forgetting the idea that this was any kind of a transaction and wanting something that felt as like connected and real as possible. And I mean, there is... There's, I mean, it just varies person to person, but um, there's, I found a lot of room. Like basically Juliet shed her layers over years. Like she stopped being 
feeling like she needed to be performing to any kind of standard, whether it's having her nails done and her Brazilian done or, you know, um, enjoy acting like she was enjoying sex that she wasn't. So, like, I feel like I found an ability to do much, have much less performative sex and relationships through sex work. Now, I think a lot of people would say they have the opposite. And I think what happened for me is I gained enough confidence that I stopped, I stopped feeling pressured into conforming to that. And that kind of, um, and I found that more and more of my clients were appreciating me being as genuine as I could be to the point of appreciating body hair and corrections to how they were rubbing my clit. I mean, just wanting that kind of something real and people felt something real. And that was, that was, I think more valuable to those sorts of clients. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of clients who don't want anything real and they just want to live out a fantasy and that's fine too. And that's a different thing, but there is room in this role. What was her name? Uh, your, your alter ego, Juliet, Juliet. Yeah. Juliet. Mm -hmm. So you talked about Juliet going through changes. Mm -hmm. So was it Juliet? Was it you? Were you, (laughs) I grew, I mean, I feel like I grew my, I grew up and grew my sexuality through sex work and, um, Juliet, eventually changed so much that she had to become a different name as well um and there was like a whole like archetypal rebirth with that new name um so like there was like a real journey that um of me relaxing becoming confident in my body giving less fucks feeling more connected to men feeling more empowered in my sexuality um and that really and that changed the way I worked every step of the way to the point where by the end of it, it was like, okay, like here I am showing up just like any other day in my life. And here's me talking about my, um, my writings on drugs and consciousness. And um, do you want to have an MDMA ceremony next time we get together? You know, like <laughs> <laughs> so um, everything started merging where there was no more persona. It was just, there wasn't more Juliet, you know, it was just... But you needed the archetype to, to, to enter. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're important that way. And then at some point, Juliet had to be killed and meet her tragic end because she wasn't necessary anymore. Um, <laughs> um, I just want to ask, like, sort of a... You, the first six... Uh, sort of a practical question, I guess, but the first six months you were doing it as the way... You went into this with Juliet as a way to some sort of emergence, some sort of spiritual emergence, mm-hmm. personal emergence, sexual emergence. But six months in, the money became important. Did anything change? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, um, there, there are not not in any like major major ways, but there's subtle those subtle moments where it's like you know what I'd really like to do tonight is not suck this guy's cock, but you're just gonna do it because you've got right. rent to pay, right? So right. like there's like, um, you know, and I think that's just like any other job when right. you do something for, because you love it, but then also if it's the only way you earn money, you start like. Right having moments where you really don't love it. Um, And I definitely got sex worker burnout at certain points. And um, I think all those things are just as true of any other profession, except that it's up there in the ranks of other healing and listening professions where the burnout's more severe because it's like your soul or your whole self that you're presenting when you do that work. It's not like just sort of like going and doing some banal task for eight hours, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Isn't it... Even I would even say it's you said up there. I, I would say it's beyond there. Yeah. <laughs> or or well, am I putting too much on it? I think it depends on how you perform the role. 
and I mean because I think some people are really good at having this like very boundaried part of their themselves or maybe not even a part of themselves that they present when they do the work and that really helps them it wasn't like I was learning a million new ways to stroke a cock or a, or a clit it was really more about learning how to create a container that's safe to play a role that has a power dynamic and do it ethically and um, to come at it with like a trauma-informed lens. So basically somatic sex education was built on the like um, back of sexological bodywork, which was developed by Joseph Kramer coming out of the HIV crisis in the 80s and um, as a way for like men in the gay community to still have like erotic touch in a, in a way that oh, was yeah. safe. Yeah, I've seen some So like stuff he did that. body electric and that became like sexological body work became an extension of that and Eddie Sprinkle got involved and developed the one for people with vulvas and then that became this um, healing modality which was great except that um, it was missing some really important things like how do you know if someone's dissociating on the table and not just lost in an erotic trance like where's your trauma lens about like deciding when people like you know or, or having conversations so that you can determine when people are actually able to do this work um, and how do you um, maybe when, once you discover that background in someone's life how do you figure out how to empower their choice and voice so that you know that you can trust their yeses and their noes and their maybes on the table because a lot of us are just like learn to endure during sex right rather than enjoy it's like do um it's like it's easier to let this happen for the two minutes until Britta stops touching me than to actually speak up and say that's actually quite uncomfortable or this is triggering my rape trauma or you know so there's a lot of talk about messy like there's a lot of potential to like <clears throat> re reenact or re perpetuate trauma through this work just as much as to heal sexually. So you have to really have all those things in place in order to be able to touch people's most vulnerable places, like emotionally and physically, um, and well, this is, make this an is, impact. Yeah, this okay. is the work, I think, of any healing work. Mm -hmm. And again, because it is, uh, it's so charged and it's so core to humanity, to, to one's humanity, mm -hmm. that it's, that it can go either way, and I think the same stuff could be said about psychedelics. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can go into the wound and make it worse. I, I hear it every day. I got yeah. a phone call today about that, and just you know, just in regular talk therapy or, mm -hmm. or whatever. These stuff, these things are very valuable, and I, I think there's probably a lot we could learn from the work you're doing. So, hmm. so what does one do in a session? So, um, so basically, usually I do like an extended in intake and find out where a person's at and what they're looking to do. Because some people come with very like, or don't come. We don't judge. <laughs> We're not goal oriented. So, <clears throat> like some people come in with like, um, you know, I w went through 14 years of childhood sexual abuse, and sex is still painful for me. And I can't even find someone to work with the scar tissue who doesn't cringe when I tell my rape story. And I need to have someone who can hold space for like a the psycho spiritual aspect of the scar tissue as well as the physiological. So that's like one extreme where you're doing like kind of extreme work with with trauma and healing on that level. And then some people, it's like. I have like real body shame where I have shame around my desires and um, or I've never had my prostate touched or I have erectile dysfunction or I have um, I've never had an orgasm I'm a woman I'm 40 years old I've never had an orgasm stuff like that kind of like um, your obvious kind of like sex therapy but we're doing it hands-on and then there's people who are coming in who are like you know I just know that I'm not in my full erotic potential I'm in a rut I want to experience more of my embodied spirituality. I want to go into erotic trance. I want to see what's accessible to me through those experiences. 
Um, and for someone like that who, if they are kind of, um, once we get through like the initial stages of like making sure that they're like a good candidate for doing an ecstatic erotic massage, a lot of people access states that are um, very comparable to the states you you go into from breathwork or psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, like I had a few people I worked on when I was doing my training who were friends and they came out of it and they were like, you know, oh, I should have known you were doing it. It was going to be trippy. It was going to be psychedelic. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah. And so it's basically my clients on a massage table. It's one way touch me to them. No one's touching me back. I'm fully clothed. Um, so that's the container. And um, no touch is taking place that isn't being directly asked for by the client. So we don't do what a lot of like new age modalities do where it's like, I'm just intuitively feeling now that you want your breasts rubbed and now I'm just intuitively feeling that I need to, like it's like, no, there's gonna be like a a vocal invitation um, because so much of the work we do is about helping people um, recognize what their body actually wants and then communicate it. So um, for the most part, when we're doing even when we're doing the ecstatic erotic massage there's like a um there's got to be invitation to different kinds of touch by the client we don't do anything to them and and i imagine that the intake and the process beforehand gets you to the point where you can understand if yes actually means yes yeah and that's like kind of what um so we do things like a bossy massage for example it's one of the first things i'll do with someone once they once they get on the table which we do boundary exercises and things like that before then like the boundary exercises are great things like traffic cop where they'll they'll <clears throat> I'll be standing across the room and they beckon me forward or push or beckon that I should go away or go stop and they try to feel into their body where they feel comfortable with me standing so they're already like learning in fact from minute one they come into the room I say where would you like to sit where would you like me to sit so like they're being empowered to negotiate what they want in their body from like the first minute that we're in a session and then when we get on the table like the bossy massage is about allowing them to feel into say okay yeah, I'd like some medium pressure massage on my left shoulder and then I'll do that and then after about you know 30 seconds a minute I'll say okay you know you know keep guiding me or would more or less pressure be better and like unless I get an answer I my hands come off I don't just keep touching so it's like a a process of them really having to tune into what their body wants and not be able to dissociate not even the mild way that we often do during sex where our mind wanders and we're just whatever's happening to our body is happening it's really like a practice of like conscious embodiment it it seems almost the opposite in the best possible way of, of the setup now for for healing of any kind in quotation marks and the ceremonials and research spaces of psychedelics. Hmm. So the ceremonial spaces, the, sh- in the shaman, the curandero, the naganga, whatever you want to call them, the priestess, mm-hmm. the priest is at the top of it, and mm-hmm. they know best. Right. And it's all. And I see people giving away so much of their power. I mean. This is why we have so much abuse of every kind, financial and sexual and emotional abuse within it. Mm-hmm. And then this idea of gatekeepers that, yeah. that you know, organizations like MAPS is setting up, you know, to, to the folks that who are sort of sanctified to mm-hmm. open the gate, you know, and, and it's a very authoritative, you know, a top-down system. And I'm really interested in, in, in how to create linear spaces. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a beautiful way to do it. And then the giving up of the so-called healer Mm-hmm. Because you're the, the 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 person coming in for for the process 
is the one that begins to dictate right off the bat. Exactly. I mean, you walk into a therapist room, they have a better chair than you. Yeah. <laughs> like, how the fuck did, like dude, really? <laughs> like, and, you know, or you go to a doctor's office. I, Hello, Dimitri. Well, what's your first name, Doc? You know, yeah. where, where the fuck do we get for, informal? Yeah. You, yeah. Um, it's and it, that's such a big part of it. It's why I was so called to the training. Is like that was um, the other piece that got added on top of sexological bodywork. One was the trauma piece, and one is the like anti-oppressive lens. And that's such a big piece of what um, everyone kind of we, we talk about so much around power and institutionalized power and all of the the big political subjects as part of the training. Like we don't miss that out and so it really like so then you see it in the training where like in one of the intensives we had to do a series of five practice sessions and we worked on our teachers and we worked on our teachers like not like oh I'm here like pretending that I'm a client no like my teachers were like okay so yeah this is my these are my real lived intimacy issues right now and this is what I need help with and they got that phone that is great yeah, that's that's so important, so powerful. How do you? You said not goal oriented, sort of as a joke, but I know that that mm-hmm. when you're talking about orgasm, but mm-hmm. I know that there's something very deep there, and I think this is again, this is also an issue with psychedelics mm-hmm. and with what we call healing in general. It's, it's a linear thing, yeah. and if you don't, if you don't make somebody come, mm-hmm. if you don't come, if you don't see the creation and destruction of the universe on ayahuasca. <laughs> You're a fucking failure. Yeah. So how do you do that? I mean, that's I, I, a big question. I, I, but how do you do it? Especially, I was thinking about porn and narrative, you know? Mm-hmm. So we watch things. We watch plays. We watch movies. Mm-hmm. Dance recital, whatever. Because there's a narrative there. It leads that, to a climax. What's that? That leads to a climax. But it leads, <laughs> but, but it leads to a climax where there's a relationship mm-hmm. to to what we might call what we call soul or spirit mm-hmm. or laughter or something mm-hmm. the narrative in porn <laughs> you know yeah. the pizza delivery guy yeah, comes yeah. and everyone can relate to a pizza delivery guy <laughs> but like like and then you all bust nuts and yeah. you know degrade mm-hmm. somebody in the process hopefully but you know how do we what, what, what how do we open up space to to get away from that sort of capitalistic you know, sort of ascension of spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. Like a spirit is, this is the other thing you see in a lot of these psychedelic communities, spirit's yeah. always up. Yeah. That's capitalism. Yeah. Yeah, spirit's never in. No. So how do we how do we go in? Well, that, I mean, that's another part of, I mean, what I discovered through my sex work and now, which I carry through in my, um, in my somatic sex education is that, like, the spirit's embodied and, like, spirit is the, is the physical and is what's right here and we can just, like, deconstruct that dualism but the um the like lack of goal i mean it's interesting because i think maybe like three of the four people who three of the four women i've worked with so far since my certification which is quite recent um came in with like either they feeling they take too long to orgasm or not being able to orgasm at all and it's just it's amusing to me because i think you know in so much of like ancient sacred sexual practices the idea was not to orgasm and you know and that like was something like to not be in that goal-oriented mode and now there's like this incredible pressure and so a lot of what I tell people when they come to me for that is like that like you can hold that somewhere up there as a goal somewhere but like that's not what we're doing when you're here like we're just we're just gonna be I'm just gonna be present for you to experience another level of, of your embodiment, to go deeper into your own erotic capacity, wherever that takes you. I like that. I like mm-hmm. that because it also takes off the pressure 
not to not orgasm. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, like this is a place where this is we're just doing something different in the space, mm-hmm. and maybe something can be explored and you can find it, mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I got a $75 tip this morning on my session, and I didn't make her come, so apparently she was still very happy. You have such good work you you do. (laughs) (laughs) If I could get paid $75 for the amount of people I did not make come, I would be so... (laughs) Um, It's a fun life. It is a fun life. What's what's the connection with psychedelics and and sex? We we haven't talked about drugs. We right. talked about coke as an addiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. What about? So I mean, I mean, my my path just the same way that like sex work t- took me into like the sacred whore and took me into somatic sex education with like coke and speed took me into um, ketamine, which took me into psychedelics, which took me into iboga and healing my addiction. So both Gosh. of those kind of like paths were really sacred to me. Um, I've forgotten what you were actually asking me. Well, just just drugs, you know, <laughs> like drugs. drugs. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, because if people ask me about the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the sacred plants, and my, mm-hmm. my my plant teacher started with coca and, mm-hmm. and, and and poppy, heroin and cocaine. Yeah, for sure. And they're um, they are they're, I think all plants are teachers, right? And like or and most things can be teachers. And to me, the connection. So my a lot of people assume that when I talk about healing with sex and drugs that I'm like talking about doing them at the same time which you know sounds really great people are like oh wow it's really out there you know and I think that I think there's probably a lot of amazing work to be done and I've experienced a little bit of it like with layering altered states but we're so bad at boundaries and consent and like altered states in general that I I don't generally recommend like using both at the same time as a healing modality necessarily Mm -hmm. Um, but they feel very I guess my thesis, the way I tie them together, is they're like two really taboo and giggled at and stigmatized and through sex work and drugs illegal, like ways of altering consciousness. Um, but they're also like some of the most like immediate ways that that and ancient ways that we've been doing that. And they both kind of both the orgasm and altered states require a kind of surrender that is like um, maybe a little bit more. Um, immediately demanded of you than when you first try to build a meditation practice or something like that you know there's a million ways to reach these altered states but they're like quite intense ways and um so i and i also feel like they are complementary like i and i just know that from my own embodied experience that when i was kind of learning to surrender more through psychedelics that i was also learning to surrender more through sex and and there was like a biofeedback between the two they both like expand our um, our sensory awareness, like they open our gating channels so that more information can reach our brain. And so, um, and you know, sex and drugs, it's so, it's such a like trivialized, like I, to me, I just love that to me, sex and drugs have been the most like healing, powerful agents in my life. And most oh, people shit. think they're whatever, you know, funny, well, which they are. Well, they're <laughs> ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is who thought this shit up? What, what I see is folks. You know, who are experimenting and pushing boundaries, which the boundaries have been pushed so many times. Mm-hmm. I want to tell these young people, like, yo, man, you, <laughs> you know, like, they're having orgies like forever, right? Yeah. It's like an old word, dude. Yeah. It's not, you know, you didn't come up with it. Um, but, like, sort of in like the poly world and, mm-hmm. and the psychedelic world, um, folks are having breakthroughs, folks are expressing themselves, but 
I think people, I think it's also, I think it's part of a greater plan to have folks think that that's all the work. Hmm. So the, the most, the, the, the best minds of my generation, as Ellen Ginsberg said, right? Mm-hmm. The best minds of my generation and the generations to come think or even feel that they are making some sort of revolutionary, evolutionary change when I often feel or and think that they are buying into the existing paradigm. Mm. So, you know, we've talked about this before. You can't, and it's, it's, it's you know, in the 60s, uh, a lot of revolutionary people believe that the sexual revolution was a central part mm-hmm. of revolution. Can you talk about that? Like, how do we bring this out of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, out of, out of the therapeutic space and how does it, how can we affect, can we affect, or we're just talking about an individual, you know, brick by brick? Mm-hmm. What are we talking about? Well, I, I do think that a, a true sexual revolution would, would bring a general revolution. I don't think we've had it yet. I think we've actually gone backwards. I don't think that, I think the sort of explosion of sexual imagery and in increasing popularity of certain sexual behaviors of a wider like palette does not equate to sexual freedom and liberation or revolution at all it may be the opposite and i think like to me <clears throat> for example you know in my training we see um like all forms of pleasure as as natural and normal including anal pleasure for all genders and like i always think well that alone i think actually if if everyone was going for one of my anal mapping sessions and exploring prostate pleasure on a regular basis we'd have a different world you know like just that alone my world would be different (laughs) (laughs) i do i think that there's like um there's that's the anus is where we hold um an incredible amount of shame and an incredible amount of tension it's insane there's folks that i work with Men, men, I work with, and from a, you know, there's a greater cultural idea around the asshole, mm-hmm. and then the individual cultures, and the idea that that ma- the masculinity is held in the sphincter. Don't don't take my like manhood. That. Like what? Yeah. Your your manhood <laughs> is in your asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a crazy anal map, and I don't even know what anal mapping is. <laughs> You need a compass, motherfucker, because that's not where it's at. Yeah, it's, um, that's everyone's favorite part of my training was the anal mapping. It's okay, so like, what's anal mapping? It's actually, it's just what it sounds like. It's like we, we map the anus, but it's like kind of a session. We do genital mapping and we do anal mapping, and it's like a way... So you're like Lewis and Clark? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. We're just going you know, to colonize a new land. Um, <laughs> But really it's about, I mean, sometimes we're doing like, um, like mapping that's like people literally don't know what their body parts are. In fact, I learned some things on my course. I didn't know where certain things were or the fact that women, or I should say people with vulvas have as much erectile tissue as, as people with penises. Like, I didn't know that. Did you know that? Yeah. It's incredible. You can actually see uh, what, what happens. There's as much erectile tissue in the vulva okay. as there is that gives you a man or a person with a wow. penis and erection. Wow. The same, and it gets engorged like to three to five times the size. It's wow. like a huge thing, but we don't learn about those tissues or how to stimulate them specifically, and it could take up to 40 minutes for full engorgement. So a lot of people with vulvas don't even realize that potential. So there's lots of like things like that mm-hmm. that we, I, we kind of go through um, genitals and sort of point out different 
tissues and things that like um, body parts people don't know, but pleasure mapping is like figuring out, oh, okay, so 12 o'clock on the clitoris versus six o'clock on the clitoris versus like, you know, like, you know, like as if the clitoris was a clock, like figuring out like where there is more pleasure or more sensation and what kind of touch is welcome there. And that's for each individual. Obviously. For each individual, right. which is really important because every body is completely different. I mean, I, I knew that, but doing this work, I really know that. I mean, the variety of touch and sensation that people, you know, enjoy is like so wide. And so anal mapping is the same thing with the anus, but everyone just thinks that's a lot more fun, right? So it's like, you know, <laughs> external sphincter, inner sphincter, prostate, mm-hmm. coccyx, yeah, the mm-hmm. whole nine yards. And how can anal mapping lead to saving the planet? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think there's got to be a correlation. There it, is. I mean, my prescription would be anal mapping, an iboga ceremony, and a communal mindful masturbation. If it, that's my prescription to save the world. Um, <laughs> not necessarily in the same day, but... You know, we could pace I'm it. I'm so down. Leave some integration. <laughs> you need some integration time and some aftercare, but yeah, that's basically it. Um, so, because I think the anal mapping is like this place where we hold, um, re- like, repress a lot of shame and repre- repress a lot of tension. And I think acting out of those places of unconscious shame and tension is how we repress others. Um, and I think that there's. And I guess similarly around shame, like the communal erotic practice that we did in our training where we had to like mindfully masturbate every day for half an hour. And then when we got together, we did that together in the same room Um, every day for 12 days. Those 25 people, I will like never have a bond or a feeling of community. We'll never look in the eye again? (laughs) (laughs) We look at each other in the eye all the time. We're like family, you know? Friends who masturbate together stay together. It's like a real thing. And um, you hear that, Troy? <laughs> I got that. I got that. I got that. <laughs> um, the first time I did it, and it was so intimidating. Even as someone who like considers herself relatively sexually liberated, it was such an intimidating thing. Um, and now, of course, I've organized one for my birthday. But um, <laughs> which I, I haven't responded to the email. If you noticed yet, so. <laughs> I have. We're waiting on that RSVP, Dimitri. So um, and now it's like to me, it's so priceless. After the first time I did it, I was like crying because it was such a release of shame, and I just thought, oh my god, the number of people who will never experience the fact that our most like, what's our most like private shameful hidden like no one else really gets to see this maybe a partner if we're even that open to do this in front of them and even then maybe we're performing more for them than we would be if we were just like getting off on our own wanking um it's it's like a huge deal and being witnessed it's like exercising the shame and then also getting this community piece like in the same way that when we trip together in community it's different from like tripping mm-hmm. you know on your own with a therapist or a guide or whatever mm-hmm. it's like you get the communal mm-hmm. um access to the communal stuff that's happening all the different energies that are flowing and interacting and archetypes that are at play and ways that you're triggering each other but maybe in good ways and and so you get all of that amplification of the healing that this practice which is like just like any mindfulness practice is like the mindful embodiment practice of being with your body except um, yeah, having that in community. And iboga, why iboga? Why iboga? Um, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm partial, and everyone's got their plant medicine that they feel. Mm-hmm. But um, there's something about what is it about iboga? I just feel like it was, you know, I I had drunk ayahuasca and I'd done other medicines, and I have so much respect for all of those medicines, and I still work with them, but 
Iboga just reconnected to me to my soul in a way that in this like direct line way and I just some I don't, I don't know it's such a like obvious question to not have a good answer to but there's something about the spirit of that plant I, you know? I, I think I think there is no obvious yeah. answer I think it's more poetry or mm-hmm. sound and music that yeah. um, so these three this is the prescription for you. <laughs> so, uh, anal mapping, aboga, and mindful medita- <laughs> mindful masturbation. Could have been so, interesting couple of weeks. <laughs> so, how all those things combined? How are they combined? No, no, no. Oh, I how get do it. they combine? Yeah, how do they combine as service to transformation revolution? Mm. So, um, well, and I, I guess actually now, now I have a piece I want to add in about Iboga, that there is something, I feel like of all the medicines, Iboga calls me out of my shit the most. Mm, mm. <clears throat> and that's, I think that's why I, and in the most direct way, in the most like, I can't ignore this kind of way. And I really, um, I really appreciate that. And I think that so much of, we always want to point to the evil in the world. And I just think that we're all perpetuating harm all the time Mm -hmm. and that doesn't make us bad people it just makes us human but ways in which we can perpetuate less harm listen to the plants to call us out on our bullshit don't have hidden places of shame and repressed anger that are we're unconsciously acting from Mm -hmm. which to me with the anal mapping is about Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then the communal piece and the vulnerability of like if you're able to be your most authentic self in a group of 25 people like or any size group of people in front of a friend you know I mean that's like profound to be able to be that much yourself Mm -hmm. um, and um, and not hide and I think that so much of the dysfunction in the world is people projecting themselves into the world hiding from really important pieces of themselves and like creating a mess and creating harm in the process mm-hmm. so yeah they, they this I mean I look at this and I think about you know going through this process and I could see transformation happening definitely um, I would say that anyone willing to go through these three processes <laughs> were, were sort of like game for some change anyway so, <laughs> so, so <laughs> <laughs> so just as like how do we get the world ready for anal mapping because <laughs> serious I mean like That's I'm down question. but like how do we get the world <laughs> <laughs> you had me at anal <laughs> so, but, but um, it's a good question um, I, in some ways though I guess one of the things that I've enjoyed about the fact that my path happened to lead me down the road of like healing with sex and drugs is that people people who aren't necessarily open to the idea of like meditating or getting on a healing path will be like, ooh, sex and drugs. Yeah, yeah. So that's been kind of my shtick is like people suddenly be interested like, well, if if I could find spirit through that, like, you know, or if I could, if I, you know, it's like a, it's like a, a bit of a, um, a bribe or like a like a tease or like a marketing ploy for healing or something mm-hmm, and in mm-hmm, some ways mm-hmm. like you know and then and then by the time you get there it's like okay so come in for a hand job like so come in for you know who says no to a hand job yeah right? and then suddenly you're you know accessing something that you didn't expect and you're there and you're like well that wasn't so you know there's it's an it's an opening and i think that's the reason that they are like they have been some of the most consistent and ancient ways of accessing is because there is also this desire, right? I mean, there's like this like 
deep desire to, to alter our consciousness through these things and that's like what we hit in our teenage years is like a huge drive to experience sex and drugs so it's kind of like taking something that people are wanting to pursue or repressing the desire to pursue anyway and being like well here's a, a path forward using that that maybe isn't as intimidating or maybe is a little bit more clear or maybe is a little more conscious than you wanted to go about it but now there's a path because we're going through if we're talking about hand jobs and drugs we're going through a place of play mm -hmm. as opposed to telling someone you have all this work to do yeah exactly so like I think you know, people say that I heard folks in recovery talking about you know you need to do the work and get the toolbox and I'm thinking we need to do the play and get the toy box yeah, you know and exactly. um, and it's that in the sort of patriarchal um, Protestant culture um, you know with the big C word in yeah. there and, and it's not cunt it's capitalism yeah. <laughs> the opposite of capitalism is it's cunt, cunt. Yeah, yeah, uh, is, is, that's a hard thing that's a hard sell <laughs> for some folks so, but, and that's why pleasure activism is really important to me because there is something about the fact and I catch myself doing this now that I'm like oh now I heal with sex and drugs rather than like get fucked up or whatever it is yeah. like you know, talking about the work and doing the work and everything's about healing work and it's like, why the fuck are we working so much? Like, when do we play? When do we... And pleasure has been my greatest teacher. You know, pleasure is what tr what took me... is like the most consistent thing through all of my path was the pursuit of pleasure. Well, so, I, I mean, I would say that, you know, th uh, that we're, we live in a culture that when we're eating, the waiter or waitress at a restaurant will come up and say, are you still working? <laughs> You're still working on that. We're yeah. fucking, we're eating. <laughs> it's like what people work to do in other parts of the world. Yeah. Work very hard to do. Um, so what about, what about privilege? Because this is all kind of like mm -hmm. crazy white people shit. Just to be, first of all, you're talking about assholes, which like a lot of cultures like, you know, I'm Greek, so, <laughs> but, I, but like, mm -hmm. you know, what about, what about this as some sort of, some sort of space just for highly privileged, educated white mm -hmm. people? It's a completely valid point. And I think that there is, um, I think that these are tools that are going to, um, that are potentially useful in opening and healing for anyone, but there's a really particular way that certain people get to access these tools and that certain cultures, you know, subcultures are more open to. I mean, I've noticed that even within my practice and the different people, because I've been reaching out within my community and offering free sessions in my throughout my training and still some um, even now that I'm certified, and there's definitely like different cultural reactions to the idea of like even like you want me to you know do what it's like a whole thing and I think that um, yeah it's so easy to get like in this bubble of like well we're all right middle class white people so we all have a bit of a disposable time and income to pursue our healing path and that's so I've been trying to think about ways to get more of this work to the into the margins and into the cracks and um in or maybe not margins or cracks into out of our margin you know yeah. <laughs> um in the way around really um and I think so much of it just is starting with like I mean just basic boundary and consent stuff and just like there's so much that's not it's like you start from this place of like oh we're exploring consciousness and it's like what about like exploring not being in a job where you're being sexually exploited all day long you know as mm -hmm. a waitress or mm -hmm. um, not being in I don't know 
So, I mean, and there's a million ways that privilege plays into it. And it's, I mean, the only way I've really directly been addressing it is been by trying to make it financially accessible. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not, there's also a matter of like, yeah, reaching into communities that were, would never be looking for this, these right. kind of modalities. To right, because I mean, I, if, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's, it is a revolutionary, uh, evolutionary practice. Mm -hmm. And... It'd be it'd be amazing to get this out there, and I think that's that's like the work to do it and to keep all these modalities outside of the existing paradigm that's so destructive. Mm -hmm. um, what about sex and drugs as addictive? What about mm -hmm. someone who has got the map of his asshole <laughs> and just wants to spend all day? <laughs> I discovered this great land. I'm never leaving it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, anything can be used compulsively, right? Anything mm. can, any tool can be used in a way that's destructive. But I think there's something about, um, I mean, with with somatic sex education, it's very much a like teach a man to fish rather than give him the fish. Like we, we tend to be not so much giving the orgasms or like, you know, giving the anal, the extreme anal. We're, we're very happy to offer education, healing and pleasure for sure. And we do offer mm -hmm. that, but it's kind of like, if you just wanted that pleasure piece, you probably wouldn't come to us and go through all the bullshit we make you go through yeah. before you yeah. get your anal massage, you know, yeah. like, um, so I guess through that modality, we're a little bit less um, likely to be, um, access compulsively but I also think I don't know it's it's a really fine line because there's just so much um, talk about like sex addiction now and porn addiction and like mm -hmm. and even the way that we some people you know compulsively use marijuana or compulsively use other psychedelics and it's kind of like Ayahuasca. yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I don't know um I tend to like I don't I, I I don't really I think I just have like a more macro perspective on like all of the compulsive use being more of like a symptom of disconnection and right. that when we're coming more into connection right. and community we're not so driven to that compulsive use so I don't really think of it as like so much on the like I don't worry about it from that angle you know and it's and it's it's community and it's also healing into going into the deep wound which it seems like Mm -hmm. Like this work is. I have to give you this line. You can teach a man to fist. <laughs> oh Anyways. my! Thank you. <laughs> that's, thank you. That's free. I was waiting for that. <laughs> it's kind of like watching our friend Jenny discover breathwork and 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 getting into that and being like, wow, we all have breath, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, we don't all have access to schedule and su substances. Mm -hmm. Under sessions, it's getting worse. Like mm -hmm. the dark market, dark web market's going down. But we can all we all have our hands. Bessie. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of what I want to leave you on. <laughs> awesome. One question I've been asking everyone, mm -hmm. are we fucked? <laughs> that's my... That's my well <laughs> fucked. No, um, um, I don't... I don't think we're fucked. Bassy. I don't think we're fucked. In fact, I think that um, we're, we're exactly as fucked as we need, needed to get in order to ever not be fucked. Bassy. That doesn't mean... We're gonna unfuck ourselves, but it means we might, we can. Bless. Thank you. I love you. <laughs>